Hey, good morning and welcome to Faith on Hill's online Sunday service. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor here at Faith on Hill. We're a church in the Milwaukee, Oregon area. And I want to let you know about a few things that are going on around the church. Uh, first of all is Good Friday. We will be having a Good Friday service at 7 p.m. on Good Friday. And uh, we will be doing it in our sanctuary, socially distanced, masks, the whole thing. Uh, but it will be a great time of coming together, remembering Jesus' death and his suffering to, to pay the penalty for the sins of you and me and the whole world. And so we're excited to gather together on Good Friday at 7 p.m. here at the church. Also, uh, Sunday morning, Easter Sunday, we will be having our Easter service both online and in person. Uh, in person, we're also going to have some stuff for the kids. Um, we're going to hide some Easter eggs in the church forum, things like that. So uh, if you can join us in person, you're invited to. And if you are online uh, with us online only, that's fine. We will be here as well. Uh, also, coming up next month, our church is part of the Pacific Conference of Churches. It's a group of churches in Washington and Oregon. And have you ever had that thing where uh, you know you need to have the conversation with somebody, but that's never the right time or the right place or the right situation? Well, for the last several years, there has been a recognized need to have a conversation in our churches about the role of women in leadership in our churches, specifically pastoral ministry. And so, We've tried to have that conversation, and it's just never felt like the right time or place or situation. We've tried to create that. So yeah, we posted a, a link on our Facebook page this week uh, to the Theology in Community series. It's a four-part series. It'll be on Zoom, um, and uh, it's a, a way to have a safe, guided, respectful discussion uh, about the theology or what the Bible says about the role of women in the church. And I'm excited about the, the many great and godly women that serve in leadership in our church. And uh, I think it's a good and helpful conversation for us to have. So uh, you're invited. is isn't just for church leaders or pastors. Everyone in our conferences uh, invited. And there is a link on our Facebook page uh, where you can sign up for free. Also, we have small groups every Wednesday night. Um, we go through questions that are based on the Sunday morning sermon. Uh, we uh, pray together, and, and we just hear what's going on in each other's lives. Uh, so one of my favorite points of our week is Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. You can email smallgroups at faithonhill.com if you don't have the link, and we'll see you there. If you have a Bible, open to the book of Daniel, chapter 9. Uh, Daniel last week was praying and asking God uh, for, for mercy and for him to work. And as he's praying, God is going to answer his prayers. So open your Bible to Daniel chapter 9 and we'll see how God answers Daniel's prayer. So Daniel chapter 9, starting in verse 20, says, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and making my request to the Lord, my God, for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out 
which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people, your holy city, to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, to anoint the most holy place. Know this and understand. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, the anointed one, the ruler, will come. There will be 70 or there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. He will rebuild the street with a trench and in times of trouble after the 62 sevens the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to the sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. This is God's word. I pray this morning that God gives us the grace and the wisdom to understand it and the power to live by it. So Daniel last week was praying. He had read in the book of Jeremiah that God had said that there were 70 years of exile for the people in Babylon. And that 70 years is almost up. So, God, so Daniel began to pray and confess. And we talked all about that last week. And as he's praying and confessing, the angel Gabriel appears to him to give him instruction, and to give him understanding. And that's our big idea today. Exiles live in understanding. The whole point of this study through the book of Daniel is to get wisdom and insight in how to live as exiles, how to live as the people of God in a land that rejects God. How do we live as the people of God in the kingdom of this world? Exiles live in understanding. That doesn't mean we know everything. That doesn't mean that everything is clear to us. But that what we do have, that understanding we do possess, we live in that. We thrive in that. I'll tell you, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people who profess faith in Jesus. And part of the reason that they are not thriving in their faith is because they choose to live in the uncertainty instead of in the understanding. I can't control the things that are unclear to me, but the things that are very clear, I can do something about that, and so can you. Exiles live in understanding, and I believe there are at least three things that the rest of Daniel chapter 9 speaks to us about living in understanding. And The first is this, understand that God is always working always working. In verse 23, Gabriel says that the moment Daniel started praying, a command went out. From whom? From God. That Gabriel was to go and give insight and understanding to Daniel. So this whole time, Daniel is praying and confessing, and you may think, okay, he's going to do that, and then God will work. No, the whole time God was working. 
The whole time that you've been praying, God has been working. The whole time that you've been faithful, God has been working. The whole time that you have pressed forward, even though everything in you wanted to quit, God has been working. Daniel didn't say amen, and then God responded. Verse 23, Gabriel says, As soon as you began to pray, a word went out. Verse 21 tells us that he came in swift flight. He was booking it. He wasn't just, you know, okay, God wants me to go see this guy named Daniel, so I'm going to take some time. Um, you know, I haven't been to earth in a while. I'm going to stop by over there because I like their burgers. You know, he, he gets going. Swift flight. God is always working. Again, Daniel didn't see that. From the moment that he started praying, Gabriel was on his way. Now, I will confess, I had a lot of questions. Why is it that it took Gabriel that long? I don't know. Again, I could choose to live in the questions and in the uncertainty, and I don't think there's anything wrong with having questions. Far from it. If you spend any time with me and you talk about the things of God, I think you'll find out that I have just as many questions as I have answers, if not more, and I'm comfortable with that. But I can choose to live in the uncertainty. I could choose to spend my entire time thinking and praying and speaking about this part of the Bible and ask questions. How come it took Gabriel so long? Or I can focus on the thing I do understand. I can live in that understanding that God was working and it was not lazy or slow. God's work was happening. So if you want to live in the understanding of, of the kingdom of heaven, you're walking through this world and, and everything around seems like chaos, right? It, it, this last year, but it's been the last many years, it feels like constant chaos. This last year just kind of let everything explode that had been building up for a while. A racial tension, economic uncertainty, um, political divide. All of these things have been building and all that COVID did was just be the final thing to let, let it explode. It's nothing new. So I can know that God is always working and he's not inactive. And, and that, that trial you've had, that situation that you've been praying and praying and praying and it feels like nothing is happening, you have to know that God's working. I have to believe that because this is what we see in the scripture the second way that we can live in understanding, first is to know that God is working. Second is to know that God has a plan. Gabriel shows up and in verse 24, he says, 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city. Why? To put an end to transgression, put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. God has a plan. I know that's a really common thing to say. You know, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. I, the first pastor I, I ever worked for, um, that was, he would say that to me like every day I saw him. Adam? God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And then he'd walk down the, the hall of the church and I'd, okay, go about whatever I was supposed to be doing. But it's not just that God has a plan for us. It's that God has a plan for the whole world. And we can look around and see chaos after chaos after chaos. I was 
you know, born into the Cold War. And for decades, the East and the West stared down at each other and it was like, ooh, are we going to survive this? And then the Cold War ended and you'd think things would get better, but no, it got crazier. And everything in the 90s kind of devolved and, and then, uh, you know, and we dealt with it with 9-11, the repercussions of what happens when, yes, it's a bad system, but it was a system and then the system breaks down and, and now all of these different groups uh, that were aligned one way with the Cold War have no alignment and it's all going crazy. And then after 9-11, you know, you just keep going through all the things that have gone on. God has a plan. It's not that this world is just spinning out of control and we're just like, at some point, God, it'd be really nice if you did something about it. It's that he's doing something about it. Now, he says in verse 24 that 77s have been decreed. That is very confusing for us. I've been working uh, on my Spanish. You know, mi español es muy porquito. And uh, so I've been working on, on learning, being better at Spanish. And uh, so one of the things I've found is there are times where I'm, I'm translating something from Spanish to English and it's not clear or it comes out weird to my English thinking brain because, uh, you know, of a language barrier. The same thing is happening here. Let's say that Daniel was an English speaker and Gabriel came and he spoke to him uh, in 2021 as an English speaker, but, um, but then it was translated into ancient Hebrew. It would say, 70 tens have been decreed for you and your people. Why? Because this word seven is the Hebrew word heptad. Se- a group of seven. A heptad. We have a decade 10 years. And so if somebody were to come and say 70 decades have been decreed for your people, we would know exactly what that means. But then if you were to translate it into another language and they don't think in decades, then the translators might just say, okay, we're, we're going to say 70 tens have been decreed because they don't think in terms of decades. They think in terms of heptads. Everything was in sevens, a seven day week, a seven year cycle. And then Uh, If you've read the Old Testament, you know that every 40 years they had a year of Jubilee. Well, what's 40? It's seven times five. So every, it was a multiple of seven. Like everything was built around that six years, you would plant your fields. And on the seventh year, you wouldn't plant. That was the, 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 the year of, of resting and letting the land Sabbath. Incidentally, uh, that was part of how God judged them going to Babylon and determined that 70 years in Babylon. Uh, was from how many years they had not observed that Sabbath of planting and harvesting. So they would have heard 77s, and, and in, in their mind, they would have just said, oh, a heptad, like we would say a decade. So what Gabriel is saying is, 70 heptads have been decreed for you and your people. And, and if you add that up, then you say, oh, okay, that's 483 years. You know, it's a, uh, actually, you know, that's not true. Uh, it's 400 and, uh, it's 490 years. Sorry. I'm not the best math person. So seven times 70 is 490. So 490 years have been decreed for you and your people. So God has a plan and he has a plan for who? 
for Daniel's people and for his holy city. So he's got a plan for the Jews and he has a plan for Jerusalem. When does that plan start? It starts when the decree to rebuild Jerusalem is issued. We'll get into that in a minute. Where's the church in all this? We talked about this a few weeks ago. In the book of Ephesians, actually a couple of times, the Bible tells us that the church was a mystery. In one of Peter's epistles, he said, hey, there were things involving your salvation and my salvation that the prophets of old saw glimpses of and they tried to figure out, but they couldn't. There are places when you read back in the Old Testament and you go, oh yeah, that's talking about the church, but it wasn't clear to them. It was mysterious. The best way I have come up with to describe prophecy is these prophets would see visions of the future Much like if you look at a mountain range and all the mountains kind of look like they're together, but if you were to then get a different perspective, you would see that there are miles between them or valleys or these two mountains that look very similar in size are actually quite different in height, uh, but it's just perspective and distance that make them look similar. So the church, basically it's like this. He says that there are seven sevens, 62 sevens, and then one seven. And it's like, imagine God has a stopwatch. You remember uh, in high school gym class and, you know, once a quarter you had to run the mile and the gym teacher would have the stopwatch, you know, timing you. So imagine God has a stopwatch. And the moment that decree to rebuild Jerusalem, because remember in Daniel's day, Jerusalem had been laid waste to, the walls had been torn down, the city was in ruins. And then the decree is given, you can rebuild. Click, the stopwatch starts. And then that first group of sevens, the seven sevens, the 49 years, that's done. And that's about how long it took him to rebuild and restore the city of Jerusalem, the temple, the whole thing. Click, that's lap one. And then there's 62 more sets of seven or seven year periods. And that all adds up to 483 years. You're on lap two. What happens in 483 years? Jesus. 483 years after Jerusalem is rebuilt, Jesus. Uh, There's a a guy named Sir Robert Anderson. And Robert Anderson was born in Ireland, but he worked for the British government. He worked for Scotland Yard. And uh, he was a believer. He, He was a devout believer in Jesus, and he took the Bible seriously, and he read this part of Daniel, and he did what a guy who works for Scotland Yard did. He investigated, and he just started doing math, and he said, hey, Uh, we know that the decree to rebuild Jerusalem was issued by Artaxerxes in the year 445 BC. In fact, we have records that show that it was March 14th, 445 BC. That's Nehemiah chapter one. And then he says, we estimate that Jesus started his ministry on the 15th year of Tiberius, Luke chapter three, verse one. And history tells us that Tiberius' reign uh, started in 14 AD. <clears throat> so Jesus' ministry, public ministry, started about 29 AD. Anderson believed that Jesus celebrated four Passovers during his ministry, one each, 29, 30, 31 AD. And his final Passover was 32 AD. And he's using lunar, he's, he's basically uh, factoring in that the, the Jews held to a lunar calendar, whereas we, uh, you know, hold to that Greco-Roman uh, solar calendar. 
So he, he factored all that in and he said, hey, let's convert it then to days, 173,740 days. And yes, I'm reading off of something. I don't have this in my brain. And uh, adjusting for differences and leap years and all of that stuff. And he came to, from March 14th, 445 BC, when the decree was issued, he said, if you go 773, 173,880 days later, which is the converting days from years. And the, he also factored in that the Jews at that time used a 360-day calendar instead of a 365-day calendar like we do. With all that in place, he said that would say that the Messiah was supposed to arrive on Palm Sunday, 32 AD. When did Jesus present himself as Messiah? We're going to celebrate that next week. When, when, did, uh, when did the people shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It was Palm Sunday, 32 AD. Now, do I base my faith off of that? No. I could find out that it is disproven. But you know what? He wrote this a long time ago. He didn't live uh, in the 20th century. He lived, he lived in the 1800s. And no one has seriously challenged his work. I mean, there are people that scoff at it or whatever. But you know, I've been teaching the Bible a long time, at least long enough to know that no one in my lifetime has seriously challenged his calculations. So do I believe in Jesus because of the mathematical work of Sir Robert Anderson? And you can look him up. He's a brilliant guy. He has his own Wikipedia page for his, uh, not just for his uh, Christian work, but his uh, uh, pri uh, public sector work. No, I don't base my faith off of it, but it sure, it sure encourages my faith. It sure, it sure shows me that, you know what? God might actually be serious when he says, I have a plan. You rebuild Jerusalem, and I am going to time it to confirm that Jesus is who he says he is. So God has a plan, and then what happens? It says that the Messiah will be cut off and will have nothing. It says that in verse 26. Jesus had no descendants. Jesus did not die with grand wealth. Jesus died a criminal's death, humiliated, according to the world standards. And then click, the stopwatch stops, and we have one heptad left. It says he'll be cut off, but then this new ruler is going to arise, and he's going to make a covenant with many people for one seven, that final remaining seven. This, by the way, is why we believe that the tribulation period, the final seven years that you, you hear talked about, that's how we think it's seven years, is from Daniel chapter nine. And that halfway through, he will come in and desecrate the temple. And that last three and a half years will be a time of horrible, horrible evil, what the Bible calls the time of Jacob's trouble, where the final judgment, wrath of God will be poured out on a sinful and wicked world. And at the same time, the final push of the Antichrist against the people of Israel, the Jews, God's people will happen. But God has a plan. What does he say? He says, until the end that is decreed is poured out on him, until his judgment comes. God, 
you know, Gabriel's telling him, hey, the, this whole plan is so that wickedness and sin are brought to an end, so that everlasting righteousness happens, so that you know, the, everything is put right. That is God's plan. So when all the craziness goes on, all of the uncertainty happens, I can live in understanding, we can live in understanding that God is always working, that God has a plan, and that plan gives us clarity. Verse 25 gives us clarity about Jesus, that it identifies, it's just another layer into the identification of Jesus as the Christ. And Christ is just, it wasn't his last name. It was just the Greek word for, for Savior or Messiah. Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the Savior. It is just another in a long line of confirming prophecies saying that man on that cross, that is the one who the scripture foretold that he will be cut off. The anointed one. The holy one. Isaiah said that he was wounded for us, that he was, he was wounded for our transgressions, for our sins, for our evil, for our wickedness, just as it says here in Daniel chapter 9. God's plan doesn't just give us clarity about the Christ, it gives us clarity about the news. You know, and fortunately, I think these are going away, but for most of my life, you could turn on Christian news you know, TBN, Daystar, on YouTube now, and you would find programs with these sort of um, pseudo-fake newsrooms, and there's somebody, you know, a TV preacher, and they have a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in another hand, and, um, you know, they'll tell you how every piece of the news is somehow automatically connected to Bible prophecy. And I grew up in a group of churches where um, it was the thing you did on New Year's Eve, New Year's Eve, you would have a prophecy update night. But, but here's what the Bible says. The Bible says in verse 26 that war will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. What does that mean? War will continue until the end. It means that people are always looking for the signs of the times. And so there are people that'll say, oh, oh dear, when 9-11 happened, I was in Bible college, and I remember all of a sudden, somebody found a verse in Revelation chapter 18 that says, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. And immediately, everybody was like, oh, this is talking about the Twin Towers. They both fell, is fallen, is fallen. And I, I remember I thought about it, I sat on it for a day, and then somebody brought it up in a conversation, and I said, would anybody, would anybody have said that this was talking about the Twin Towers in New York on September 10th. And if you had come to somebody on September 10th, 2001, and said, I believe that Revelation chapter 18 is, is speaking about towers falling at this time frame and all that, any good professor of hermeneutics, of eschatology, of theology, and other big words, they would have all shot it down as poor workmanship. But then something happens in the news and we want to grab hold of it and try to say, oh, this is what it's talking about. I don't have to worry about that. I don't live in, in this kind of, oh, what's happening now? Because I know God has a plan, and his plan is working, and he's given us his plan. And so, you know, am I worried? There are people that are going around saying that the coronavirus vaccine is the mark of the beast. 
Again, they haven't read their Bibles. You go and you read the book of the Revelation, and you'll see that people will know what they are doing, that they are knowingly taking his mark. The coronavirus vaccine is not the mark of the beast. And I don't have to worry about the news. I get clarity about the news because the scripture has told us what God's plan is. I get clarity about the future. This is talking about future events. I believe that you can know that just from reading Daniel chapter 9 because when you read it, you see that there is no historical uh, comparison. We did talk a few weeks ago about this guy Antiochus Epiphanes, who a few hundred years before Jesus, if you've heard of the Maccabee revolts and how we got Hanukkah, uh, he did something very similar to this. And so people in Jesus's day thought that this part of the Bible was speaking about Antiochus Epiphanes and it had already been fulfilled. Except who is the anointed one that was cut off with nothing? Had everlasting righteousness been brought in? Had prophecy and vision been sealed up? Had somebody, had all of these things happened? No, it was kind of like that, but it wasn't this. The mark of the beast isn't the, the coronavirus vaccine. 9-11, I don't believe at all, is in the book of Revelation. These things that we get so freaked out about, and yet the Bible does give us clarity about the future. Every generation asks questions. And my parents' generation loved Bible prophecy because it answered their generation's questions. Where are we going? How is this all going to end? Everybody that had grown up with the Cuban Missile Crisis, are we going to survive this? I believe that this day and this moment is asking different questions, and yet this still speaks to that answer. And knowing about the future will help us to understand that. That people say, what, what's God doing about injustice? What's God doing about the evil in the world? That is the whole point of God's plan to bring an end to wickedness, to bring an end to injustice. When Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom, there will be no human traf trafficking. When Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom, there will be no mass shootings. When Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom, there will be no racism, individual or systemic anything. None of that will exist. When Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom, corruption will not be allowed. That's what God is doing about these things. And we as believers can help be a part of modeling that on this earth right now. Absolutely. But people say, what's God doing? That's the whole point of Jesus, of his coming, is to bring an end to this wicked, fallen system that we all suffer in. And it can help us find peace and, and, and purpose. Because while we are here, I know that this world isn't going to spin on forever. I know that there's going to come a point where God says, no more, that's it. And while we are here, we can do what we can to invite people into the salvation and rescue that Jesus offers. And we can bring and model the good work that God has for us in the community around us. We can be part of seeking the good of this city, seeking the peace of this city. The same prophet, Jeremiah, that Daniel read, who said that the, the time that God's people would be captives in Babylon would be only 70 years. God also told that prophet, Jeremiah, seek the peace of the city that you live in. And so with this understanding that God has a plan and a purpose, then I can have peace. I don't worry about the future, but then I can have purpose in this moment. 
Because the world that we live in is a mess. And somebody can come and say, what's God doing? Hey, can I show you what Daniel chapter 9 says? Daniel chapter 9 says that God has a plan. And do we understand every part of it? No, there's a lot of questions. In fact, you might have read this and said, I have more questions than answers. That's great. Come to our small group on Wednesday night and we'll talk about it. But the things that I do understand, exiles live in understanding the things that I do understand that God has a plan for salvation, that God has a plan to restore justice, that God has a plan to end wars and desolations and conflicts. That's what I can live in. That's what we can rejoice in. That's what we can find peace in that clarity. I don't understand everything else, but I understand that much. And that clarity, knowing God's plan and his working, brings me great peace and it gives me great purpose. And if you say, I want that same purpose in my life. God, will you show me how I'm to be used? I believe God will answer that prayer. If you say, I know that I'm part of that system of of sin, of wickedness, and I know that, that Jesus has made a way for me to come out of it, but I'm not out of it yet, then cry out to God where you're at. He hears that prayer. And if you have prayed any sort of prayer in response to what we've talked about this morning, email me, adam at faithonhill.com. If you know you need to pray a prayer, but you're not ready, email me, adam at faithonhill.com. God God knows how the word has hit you. As I've read the Bible this morning, God knows how that's hit you. And he knows where, where you need to respond. And he will help you. And I believe that is 100% true. We'll see you this Wednesday on our Zoom group. And we'll see you next Sunday at 1030 a.m. as we celebrate Palm Sunday. God bless you.